I've noticed a real resurgence of an early 2000s aesthetic amongst the youth lately, and it's making me like a little bit concerned. Not because I feel uncool or anything. I'm I'm 30. It would be weird if I cared whether or not the TikTok teens liked my haircut. Mostly I'm concerned about low-rise jeans making a comeback. Um, I'm hoarding high-waisted pants, like some sort of dragon sitting on top of a fabric mountain and hissing anytime a pair of pants sits under my belly button. This fear was solidified recently when I watched the 2000s reboot of Charlie's Angels. There are three extremely beautiful women in that film, and every single one of them at some point has a pair of pants that are just the right level of low rise to be like, this has made your torso look like that of an alien. If Lucy Liu, My Girl Drew, and Cameron D cannot make that look good all the time, then I think it's fair to say we shouldn't be loosing low rise jeans on impressionable teen girls who haven't developed a firm grip on their self esteem yet. Aside from the jeans, watching the 2000s Charlie's Angels was such a nostalgic good time that I decided to rewatch the 2019 reboot, uh, which was decidedly less of a good time despite trying its absolute darndest. Which made me realize Charlie's Angels has been rebooted twice in my living memory. That seems like too many times, to be totally honest with you. Sort of like how I'm old enough to have seen three iterations of Spider-Man and in each one Uncle Ben died. (laughs) Like if you're going to keep flogging a dead horse, at least pretend you're using a different riding crop each time. Sorry, I wasn't sure how to round out the dead horse metaphor. I went with riding crop uh, and I kind of regret it. (laughs) And instead of fixing it, I'm talking about it, thereby flogging another totally separate dead horse. Anyway, there's too many angels was the point of all that. (laughs) I'm Alex. This is Pop Culture Boner, the podcast edition. And today I'm thinking about Charlie's Angels. So Charlie's Angels premiered as a TV show in 1976 on the ABC network, introducing three feisty female investigators who solve crime and look great doing it, all backed by a faceless millionaire. It was an enormous success that ran for five seasons and 115 episodes total. It also pioneered what would become known as Jiggle TV, (laughs) in which the sex appeal of its female leads was used as a selling point for the show. The jiggle, of course, referring to the fact that many of the women's costumes were designed to allow some free movement in areas that the good Puritan public of the US of A found highly immoral. (laughs) Mysteriously, each episode, one or more of the angels would end up in a bikini or something similar. After the show ended in 1981, the concept lay dormant until the year 2000, when Sony had picked it back up. Word of the project got to Drew Barrymore at Flower Films, and they rushed over determined to be involved. After presenting the execs with a sizzle reel featuring snippets from 200 films explaining how the action should take place and why, Sony let her have it. (laughs) It was a box office smash that resulted in a sequel two years later and launched like a million gay crushes. Then, in 2019, Elizabeth Banks decided to revamp the spicy trio again, 
expanding the concept so that the Townsend Agency had become a global spy syndicate featuring Kristen Stewart as gay and sexy. (laughs) It was much less of a smash hit, unfortunately, and it's kind of quietly faded into the worst kind of contemporary obscurity. No sequel. I think ultimately I find Charlie's Angels pretty interesting because it's really difficult to find female-led crime or action franchises. Unlike a contemporary of the 2000s reboot, Starsky and Hutch, uh, which stayed set in the 70s, the Angels get an update every time. And as such, our fixation on rebooting the Angels shows us something about popular feminism each time we rework them for a new audience. So I thought today we could take a look at what each iteration says about women and popular feminism, what gets updated, what stays the same, and why it's still so goddamn hard to find a decent female action hero. (laughs) So people's opinions on the success of Charlie's Angels as a kind of feminist iconography are wildly varied, (laughs) particularly in regards to its original television iteration. On the one hand, the show is about three independent and successful women working to fight crime. They're smart, capable, and athletic, as exampled by their undercover work as journalists, stunt women, magicians, nurses, cheerleaders, knife throwers, uh, models, prison inmates, violinists, and lifeguards, to name but a few. They can do literally anything, and they don't even need superpowers to make that happen. On the other hand, critics were quick to point out the show's reliance on sex appeal for ratings. I did mention it was seen as Jiggle TV, which was a term coined by an NBC executive to criticize ABC's television production and marketing strategy and link it to the moral panic surrounding pornography that was kind of sweeping the US at that moment. Even the women who were cast as angels have really different opinions on what the show actually achieved. Breakout star Farrah Fawcett said that her assumption was that the show's success was largely based on their sex appeal. She said, and I'm, I'm quoting here, when the show was number three, I figured it was our acting. And when it got to number one, I decided it could only be because none of us wears a bra. For what it's worth, the other angels came forward saying that they did, in fact, wear bras. Um, but in contrast, Cheryl Ladd, who was Fawcett's replacement after she exited the show following the first season, said... We were very inspirational to a lot of young women. Young women would write us and say, I want to be like you. I want to be a cop when I grow up and take chances to be something other than the acceptable school teacher or secretary. Now, regardless of how you feel about inspiring women to join the police force, not good, uh, ultimately, both of these women are correct. You can find endless written praise from women who were tweens and teens in the late 70s and early 80s who loved what felt like a fresh new way to be a woman on screen. You can also find a whole slew of think pieces about how the show's feminism is so deeply flawed that it's practically non-existent. Both of those things can be true. Media representation is always going to be flawed, particularly in spaces like television, which has less ability to kind of cater to niche markets. And when you have burgeoning social movements that are having a quantifiable impact, Reflecting that is a good business move, even when it scares the establishment. Optimistically, you're walking a line between what you can get away with and what you can't. Pessimistically, capitalism is the devil and you got to get the people to buy in somehow. (laughs) When I was reading up on Charlie's Angels, I came across an article on Farrah Fawcett by uh, Chadwick Roberts, 
which says that Farah represented a kind of enlightened conformity. Farah showed us that women could drive race cars and wear lip gloss. As one of Charlie's angels, Farrah Fawcett embodies the fantastic. She's athletic and feminine, tough but soft, fearless and physically flawless, made up but natural, a cop and a cover girl. While it's talking about Farrah Fawcett specifically, the phrase that really stuck out to me was this idea of enlightened conformity that permeates the show. When you look at the time period that the angels were on the airwaves, they appear at the tail end of the 70s, where second wave feminism was kind of knocking it out of the park in terms of like achieving goals, in the, in the US at least. You had the passing of laws like the Women's Educational Equity Act uh, and the Pregnancy Discrimination Act. You had outlawing of things like marital rape and the legalization of no-fault divorce, as well as landmark court cases like Roe versus Wade. Now, obviously, we're still working on a lot of these things today, but progress was being made pretty rapidly. Folded into that progress, you have what some would call more radical elements of second wave feminism, which were tied to other radical social movements of the 70s and acknowledge intersections, some (laughs) intersections with race and class, and which have an anti-imperialist bent tied to the anti-war movement that ran from the late 60s to the end of the Vietnam War in 1975. That stuff is a lot scarier and more anti-establishment than saying, like, maybe women doing the same job as a man should be paid at the same rate, or uh, maybe we shouldn't fire women when they get pregnant. (laughs) So what you get with a show like Charlie's Angels is a kind of enlightened conformity which mutes all of the radical impulses of feminism and turns them into something aspirational. The angels have great hair, great clothes, and they're beautiful. Their work taking down criminals doesn't compromise on their femininity. They can kick butt and look great. Plus, they're still controlled by a male anonymous millionaire backer who they can still defer to even when they're shown to be exercising their autonomy. Don't worry, folks, these girls have non-traditional jobs, but they still also have a man in their life to make them feel special and safe. And they can still have normal relationships. Many of the angels have a boyfriend at one point or another, which soothes any anxiety about women being too independent and career-minded to, like, reproduce and play housewife. Essentially, the show is imperfect, as are all things. While a lot of women came away from it with an idea of empowerment, it also did a lot to reinforce traditional feminine roles, even when reflecting updated ideas of what women could do. By the time the 80s rolled around, viewership numbers were starting to dwindle, which was in line with the changing face of feminism at the time. Powerful women were no longer private investigators who'd finished the police academy and worked in fun and fruitful harmony with their friends. They were aggressive individualists taking over corporate America. The cultural moment that kind of birthed the angels had passed. For 20 years, Charlie's Angels was the stuff of daytime reruns, until Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and Lucy Liu took over in the year 2000. Now look, I'm a little bit biased to this iteration of the angels, and I'm more than happy to admit it. It has an exceptional cast, which features Sam Rockwell, Crispin Glover, Bill Murray, and John Forsyth reprising his role as Charlie. It's perfectly paced, the action is great, and it heavily references stylistic choices from some of my favourite action films. It's perfect camp, and I love it with all of my heart. (laughs) 
The sequel, which arrived in 2003, is definitely not as good, but it's still a pretty fun time. But that doesn't mean we can't pick it apart. So what changed from 1981 to 2000? The film rests on three separate archetypes for the girls' characters. One is tough, one is smart, and one is strong. In their intro scenes, they're shown winning Jeopardy, flying a space mission with NASA, or punching out a drill sergeant. However, these girls exist in a post-Sex in the City world. Now, Sex in the City premiered in 1998, and while you can debate forever, like literally until the end of time, <laughs> about whether Sex in the City constitutes feminism, anti-feminism, post-feminism, or some other adjacent feminist disaster zone, it did put a very specific type of woman on our screens. A girl who is trying her best to have it all. Dream job, dream man, dream wardrobe. And figuring it out with a little bit of help from her friends. While the angels are campier and more fun than Carrie and co, I think you can see echoes of the Sex and the City formula in the updates that are made to the angels. They're dealing with the practicalities of, like, girls can do anything, women can have it all kind of feminism. Namely, the age-old question of, how you actually manage the juggling act of having it all. If the first iteration of the Angels took place against the backdrop of 1970s second wave feminism, Charlie's Angels 2000 took place against, like, the backwash. In their book, Manifesta, Young Women, Feminism and Future, Jennifer Baumgartner and Amy Richards say that feminism post-second wave was kind of taken for granted. They call it fluoride in the water, so it's sort of unnoticed, but it's omnipresent. But it was pretty abundantly clear to anyone who wasn't straight, white, and middle class that the achievements of the second wave didn't actually benefit everyone. <laughs> the radical elements that I mentioned earlier, those that focused on like race, class, and anti-imperialist narratives, were often driven by women of color, particularly black women, whose struggles continued even after people had started coining the term post-feminism because some white women were now allowed in boardrooms. I'm being flippant, and it's obviously more complicated than I can compress into the 20 minutes of this podcast, but ultimately, third-wave feminism meant that throughout the 90s and noughties, we were seeing more nuanced discussions around intersectionality, gender identity, and sex positivity. We were also seeing a rise in personal storytelling to further those causes. But you don't really get any of that in Charlie's Angels. Lucy Liu's presence makes the film a little less white than its predecessor, and Dylan, played by Drew Barrymore, has casual sex with two men over the course of the film, both of which could be seen as reflecting some of the social shifts that were happening around representation in media and sex positivity. Sort of, if you squint. Uh, but there's no teeth. Like its predecessor, the movie conceptually absorbs all of the more radical politics happening around it and mutes the hard parts, especially around race. On screen, Lucy Liu's race is a punchline on one occasion, and off screen, she was paid $15 million less than Cameron Diaz. <laughs> or the girls are actively punished for their subversive behavior. So one of the men Dylan sleeps with tries to kill her multiple times afterward as punishment for her bad judgment. Once again, we needn't worry that these women are too independent or intelligent to conform to the standards of socially acceptable women. They're just modern gals trying desperately to juggle having it all. 
Alex, who is Lucy Liu's character, is dating an actor who thinks she's a bikini waxer and is dealing with the pressures of being a good girlfriend. She's shown hacking computers, rewiring explosives and working on race cars, but the domestic task of baking edible blueberry muffins somehow escapes her. Natalie, played by Cameron Diaz, is trying to set up a date over the phone while engaging in hand-to-hand combat. She even yells, do you know how hard it is to find a good man in Los Angeles when the leather-clad villain, like, hangs up on her boyfriend? Dylan is dealing with the fact that she slept with the villain of the piece and also a guy who refers to himself in the third person. That last one is a little less relatable and maybe a little bit more super spy specific. But otherwise, these are all very campy, dialed up versions of trying to balance a personal life and a career while still looking great. Plus, they're still under the thumb of Charlie, who directs them from afar. And while they do ultimately work to save him in this film, it's still condescendingly framed as the angels having daddy issues, which is yet another affliction of the mid-noughties woman. Which brings us to the final iteration of Charlie's Angels in 2019. Having asked, just how can women have it all over and over and over again from 1990 to 2010? We finally came up with, I don't know, man, with great difficulty, probably. And then we moved on to something new. In this iteration of the Angels, they're chasing a mole in the globally expanded Townsend Agency. I wanted to like this film so much, but it just wasn't very good. (laughs) One of the big missteps that it made is that the women weren't friends at the beginning of the movie. They're adversarial until eventually Sabina, who's played by Kristen Stewart, almost dies. And even then she says, I wasn't sure you liked me. I'm like really annoying. (laughs) A huge part of the show and the first film is that it's surprisingly hard to find movies that just show women who like each other and are friends. And even harder, again, in the action genre. The angels are never shown getting to know each other. They're just women who are best friends and fight crime. This iteration of the angels took a very traditional action movie approach, which is like two really strong guys quietly develop a respect for each other by surviving a series of explosions and also protect a weaker guy. Which is not a dynamic that I hate per se, but it's not the angels. In the 20 years since the last iteration of The Angels, it probably won't surprise you when I say that we're still treading over a lot of the same ground we were previously with regards to addressing the various inequalities plaguing our society. Racism, homophobia, transphobia, income inequality, gendered violence and slut-shaming still all run varying degrees of rampant. However, one of the key differences is that in the last two decades, feminism has gone digital. Social networks and sharing mean that there is unprecedented access to information from diverse perspectives and a power to share experiences. Movements like Me Too have successfully highlighted the really pervasive nature of sexual violence in a variety of industries and sparked really important public conversations about gendered violence. Perhaps most importantly, the new digital frontier encourages continuous learning, cracking over your skull and viewing the world from a different perspective. But what does that mean for movies? The Angels get a 2019 update that feels to me a lot like um, those really heavily curated 
feminism, I'm doing inverted commas, Instagram accounts that are secretly run by men to make money. Um, if you don't know why I'm saying that, I'm talking about the Instagram account at Feminist, and I will link an article about it in the work notes for this episode. Um, but you know the accounts that I mean, right? And the sort of content that they post. It's like a friendly intro plate that says like everything you need to know about period poverty. And then like 10 pastel follow-up cards that all miss the important parts of the issue and give you absolutely zero external links to, you know, actually help out. The movie feels like a pastel Instagram infographic is what I'm saying. It's all style, no substance. The intro has cased you talking about how girls can do anything to a billionaire who keeps cutting her off until she starts listing stats about how he doesn't find her to be a threat because women are so underestimated in the world before she punches him in the face and arrests him. It could be sort of satisfying if it wasn't a setup for even more heavy-handed monologuing about like workplace sexism and being told to smile throughout the film. In an attempt to appear enlightened, the 2019 Angels missed the chance to have the kind of fun that the previous films really allowed for, or to make like small but meaningful updates, like fight choreography that catered to their needs as women consistently coming up against eight-foot-tall muscle-bound henchmen, for example. I mentioned previously the concept of enlightened conformity, particularly as it relates to the movie industry. Namely, that if we're optimistic, you can only get away with so much on film. But pessimistically, whoever's making money off the film wants to say enough of the right things that it's a hit. And this version felt too much like they were trying for a hit. They made an angel gay. They showed Charlie as a woman using a man's voice modulator for some reason. They had an old girl soundtrack. It just didn't go deep enough and was too disorganized to actually feel like a genuine attempt. Now, obviously, none of these films are ever going to manage to be all things to all women all the time. And if you got something out of the 2019 Charlie's Angels, then I'm happy for you. But we don't get a lot of opportunities for fun, female-led action films. I think at least in part because filmmakers are stuck on the idea of the angels. Fun, flirty, feminine, but still kicking your ass. And we can't keep doing that over and over again. The last film proves that, as audiences, we've moved on. Well, it turns out I had more to say on Charlie's Angels than I initially anticipated. And I didn't even touch on soundtracks, racism, or proper fight choreography, which were things that I had written like three pages of notes on. <laughs> ah, the great tragedy of having too many opinions and not a big enough soapbox. Anyway, I do genuinely love the 2000s iteration of the Angels, and I think about their 900 wardrobe changes at least once a week. So if you too think about Drew Barrymore <laughs> in that raceway jumpsuit when your head hits the pillow at night, Talk to me about it next time you see me at the pub. Peace.